Today, uh, Bible reading is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, a reading from verse 16 through to 18, which brings us to the end of the letter and the end of our series on 2 Thessalonians. There's only a few verses, so I might just read it. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of the genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, when I was a kid, uh, one of my favourite kid songs was that one that we just sang. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It, and the reason it was one of my favourites, the, the fun of it was, of course, trying to get all those big phrases and big words in without getting tongue twisted. And yeah, I found a lot of fun. But there's a couple of verses in there that I would sing with gusto. I had absolutely no idea what they meant. All right, so I've, uh, for there is therefore now no condemnation down in my heart. Now, how could a six or eight-year-old possibly understand what that means? At least this one didn't. Or I've got that piece of passes understanding down in my heart. I didn't, I didn't understand that one either. Now, today's Bible reading is pretty much a benediction in the form of a prayer of blessing. And, and also a signing off of the letter. And, and Paul does this by writing the last the last few paragraphs in his own hand. And that was his practice. That's what he used to do with all of the letters that he'd write. He'd either write the last couple of paragraphs or sometimes the last big chunk or the last toodaloo, farewell, in his own handwriting. The same as what we would sign the bottom of a letter today. Now, when you read that, you sort of think, oh, maybe there's not that much in it. But when you actually focus in on it, there actually is a fair bit for us to talk about. And I'm going to take the opportunity to focus today on the peace of passes understanding down in my heart. Peace. It's something that we long for. Peace is something that we crave. But do we really know what peace is? Or is it just fashionable for us, for us to be seen as being peace lovers or peacemakers um, without really understanding what peace is? Uh, Last night, Andrew asked me, what's, what's the sermon going to be on tomorrow? And, and I just had to, I had a mental blank for a moment. And I thought, uh, peace. And he said to me, he said, is that, is that, is that just like, you know, the, the beauty queens? Like, they always just, that's the answer for everything, peace. And um, just so happens, Andrew, I said, I said, no, you just have to wait till tomorrow. A movie I found quite funny was... Sandra Bullock playing an undercover FBI agent, Miss Congeniality, where she enters this congeniality contest, and in one scene, contestant after contestant after contestant all answer the question with world peace. And then they ask Sandra Bullock, who's playing this agent, the question, what is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And everybody just looks, huh? And then after a very long pregnant pause, she goes, and world peace. And they all cheer. So peace. I, I, can you imagine how the people in the Ukraine would be feeling at the moment? So 
As I was writing this um, on Tuesday morning, uh, the last European diplomat to leave Mariupol, he, he was a Greek diplomat, said that Mariupol will become part of a list of cities that were completely destroyed by war. And at that stage, it was well on its way to, to being just that. The very next day, the, the figures were given that 90% that of all buildings in that city had been destroyed by artillery and, and aerial bombing of that city. Can you imagine the devastation and the untold death toll that, that would be there? Ordinary citizens living an ordinary life and Vladimir Putin, the leader of a totalitarian regime next door, an evil man craving conquest, brings one of the world's largest and best equipped militaries to bear on your home. Imagine what that would be like. Peace blasted with indiscriminate ordnance. Peace shattered, peace gone. How would you feel? It makes the fears and the anxieties that pervade our culture and that pervade our lives all seem very petty. Now, verse 16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Peace. What is this? I mean, sometimes it, some churches have what they call the passing of the peace, where at, at, at a given point, everybody will get up and say, peace be with you, and oh yes, and the Lord be with you too, and, and, and that sort of thing. It's called the passing of the peace. But peace, what is it? As I searched the scriptures on peace, I found that most of what the scriptures have to say about peace is quite different to what most of us really want to concentrate on. And to follow along here, we're going to have to understand the difference between these two ideas of peace. There is a peace that we feel that would be an inner calm, and there's a peace that actually is, right? So one form of peace is merely a feeling, whereas the other form of peace is existential. That means it actually exists. You see, a person can feel peace when peace doesn't exist. And likewise, a person may feel no peace and very, be terribly anxious about all sorts of things when peace does exist. And something that I've had to learn in, in my journey as a Christian is feelings can be very often wrong. Feelings can be very misleading. Feelings can be very deceitful. But the Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Feelings are often, actually I probably should say very often, the cravings of the flesh that we then dress up into something which is a bit more spiritual. Now, the sort of peace that we find in the Bible, so biblical peace, is existential. It actually exists. It is real. And by the way, when I use that word existential, 
Um, please don't ever get that confused with, with the philosophical idea of existentialism, two very different things. There's, there's one preacher I heard once, he talks about all these isms, and he says, very rarely is an ism a good thing, except for baptism. Baptism is a good thing, but most other isms not so good, right? So, so don't get the two confused. To be existential, it, it's simply a verb, uh, sorry, an adjective. It's a describing word. It describes something that actually exists. Whereas existentialism, different kettle of fish altogether, not a good thing. Right, so, so biblical peace is existential. It actually exists. Now, sometimes... the. The scriptures reveal to us a peace that is in the present. It is here and it is now. And sometimes we read about a future peace. Now, it is still an existential peace. It still exists. It just hasn't made its appearance yet. This is the eternal peace, the peace that we will experience in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns with his glorious eternal kingdom. Now, when it comes to world peace, that may very well be the dream of every pageant queen. But true world peace will not be until all of the evil rulers of the world bent on conquest are permanently assigned to the fires of hell. World peace will not be until Jesus returns as our righteous judge and he makes his judgment on the whole world and rewards those who eagerly await his coming and sends to destruction those who have rejected the Prince of Peace. Right? So when you pray for and when you hope for world peace, do you understand that, that you are praying, come Lord Jesus, come as the righteous judge, come and judge all who are evil and reward those who are who, who have faith in you as you bring your new kingdom. That's when true world peace will be. So what peace is Paul praying for, for this Thessalonian church? And what peace would he pray for us? He's requesting that we have peace at all times, in every way. What he's saying is, is that there would not be a time when we don't have peace and that there would not be a circumstance where we do not have peace. Not that there wouldn't be these circumstances, but that there would be peace in these circumstances so that no matter what happens in life, and remember when he's writing this letter, he's writing this letter to a church who are going through persecution. They are suffering, these people. And so that no matter what happens in life, even through their sufferings, even through their persecutions, that we would continue always to have a very real existing peace. Even if you don't feel peace, you would still have this peace. Are you with me? Right? It's not based on feelings. It's something that actually is. Now... How can we have real peace? Why does this peace exist? It's because of the presence of the Lord. The peace we have, it's not based on some kind of wishful thinking. It's based on the hope that we have in the Lord 
and his presence with us. And no matter what we go through in this life, the Lord is with us. I wonder, do we truly consider the blessing that we have, that the Lord is with us? And how this should give us peace. Right? So if the creator of the universe is with us, no matter who comes against us, we have every reason to feel peace, do we not? So if I was down the street and a big bully comes along and tries and threatens to bash me up, I might be quivering in my boots because I'm not, I'm not strong, I'm not a fighter. But if Scott was standing beside me, I think I'd have every reason to feel peace because he's bigger than most blokes around. I'd feel peace because he's a friend of mine. But, and so if something like that can give me peace... Having the creator of the universe, our Lord and our Saviour, with us every day, all day, this must give us peace. How? Because the Lord be with you all. By the way, uh, throughout this letter, it's become obvious at times that, that some of the brothers and sisters, presumably in Thessalonia, needed to have a bit of a correction. Now, because they needed some correction on a few issues in their walk with God, did that mean that God was not with them? No, not at all. He's saying here, the Lord be with you all. Our Lord will never forsake those whose trust is in him. And so peace, whether you feel it or not, exists. It is real. The only thing that, that destroys peace between us and God is deliberate, unrepentant sin. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have this. In our Lord Jesus Christ, we repent of sin. And by his grace, we are forgiven of sin. The, the, the very last verse in this letter reminds us of this. The, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Right? So not only is the Lord Jesus Christ with us, his grace is with us. As we repent of sin and we confess our sin, he forgives us. And so in him, by his grace, we have peace. Whether you feel it or not. The feeling bit, feeling peace, comes by faith. When you truly believe, and that's what faith is, when you truly believe that the Lord is with you and you know this because he is your Lord, that's when we feel the peace. That's when we experience the peace that, that certainly already exists. Right? By faith, I believe it and therefore I feel it. Romans chapter 5 says... Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? But then he goes on to say this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You understand this? Like, even in sufferings, we have peace. Why? Because we have been justified by faith. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, right? Jesus hasn't promised us that everything's going to be rosy and shiny and we're not going to go through trials or tribulations. He's saying in the world you will have tribulations, but even in tribulation we have peace. Because we are in Christ, which means Christ is also in us. The Prince of Peace is in us by his Holy Spirit. And we have peace. Now, I might, some of you might be going inside, but hang on a minute, Michael. Then if I have this peace, why don't I feel the peace? Why don't I feel it? Well, if you don't feel a peace, your feelings are wrong. And feelings can be wrong in both ways, you know. In Isaiah, God said, there is no peace for the wicked, and yet they felt peace. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, Israel had sinned greatly against God. They'd forsaken God, and they'd turned to, to idols and false gods. And, and God's prophets were saying, the time for destruction is coming. And they were saying that there's two world superpowers going to come. Uh, one's going to be Assyria and the other's Babylon. And they're going to utterly destroy Judah and Israel. So God's prophets were telling them this. But there's a whole heap of false prophets who say, no, no, no. They had visions of peace. And they were saying, peace, peace when there was no peace. And, and the people of Israel and Judah felt peace and they felt secure. After all, we're, we're God's people, aren't we? We're, we're living here in the promised land, aren't we? We'll be right. That was their feelings. But their feelings were wrong. Think of the unsaved today. They have no fear of God. And yet most are at peace within themselves. Oh, there is no God. But even if there is a God, I'll be right because I'm a good bloke. Not realising, of course, that the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the worst possible sin. And thus they are enemies of God in desperate need of having peace with God. They feel peace, but their feelings are wrong. And the flip side of that is sometimes disciples of Jesus feel no peace. And this happens, I think, when, when we set our minds on the things of the flesh and we're concerned for things that we shouldn't be concerned about. It's when we care for the things of the world, health, wealth, long life. It's when we care more for this life than what we do about the life that he's saved us to. 
Now, if as, if as a Christian, I don't feel peace, that's a faith problem. Anxiety. People of the world have every reason to suffer anxiety. But when a disciple of Jesus feels anxious, that indicates a faith problem. Either my concern is too great for other things, for things of this world, or I don't really trust that God holds me in the palm of, my hand, palm of his hand and that I can just release to him all of my fear and anxiety because he's got this. Romans chapter 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. But to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? So if I don't feel peace, it's either a faith problem. I'm not trusting God or my heart is, is concerned for things of the flesh. My heart is concerned for things that I really shouldn't be concerned about because everything that's important, God takes care of. So within the Christian church, there's a very common, and I'm going to say unbiblical, a misunderstanding of peace. Um, and I'm sure you'll be familiar with it. Um, and, it and it's not about existential peace. Once again, it's about feeling peace. Right? And it goes like this. A person may be facing a decision, and it could be a decision that's been forced upon them, uh, but although more often it'll be a, a decision where a person is seeking a change to help them to fulfill their, their hopes and, and, and dreams. Um, and so we look at the options and they set their heart on a particular option. They may pray about it before they choose that option or they might pray about it after they've thought, yeah, that's the best option and, and then pray about it. And, and the prayer is essentially seeking God's stamp of approval or God's guidance, right? So God, is this your will on my life? I, I want you to show me, is this your will or is it not? Um, or it might just be a more general prayer. Lord, show me your will for my life. And, and it might all seem good to me and then I feel good about it and I don't have anxiety about it so I, don't, so I have this inner calm and then we tend to say those magical spiritual sounding words. I pray about it. I have a peace about it. Therefore, I believe it's God's will. Now, we've all heard this, haven't we? Um, most of us have probably said this. I know I have. Um, we've definitely all heard another Christian say it at some point. I've prayed about it. I have a peace about it. And therefore, it must be God's will. Now, th this is, is very much the practice of many Christians today. Now, what do we base this practice on? And I searched the scriptures 
Um, and I've, I've put it up on the screen there, a few examples of this, of this method that I've found of determining God's will in the scriptures, right? So these that I've put up there are the examples of godly men and women in the Bible who have felt at peace about something and known, therefore, that it's God's will. At least they're the examples I could find. Um, now, for those who are listening to the recording, the screen's blank. I, I couldn't think, I, I searched, and I, I just couldn't find an example of how this is a method in the Bible of determining God's will for our lives. In fact, in the scriptures, the will of God may leave us feeling very reluctant, may leave us feeling very anxious about things, right? So, so think about when the Lord revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And, and God says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. Now, did, did Moses have a real sense of peace about this? And go, hmm, that must be God's will. I, I feel this inner calm. No, no, Lord, not me. Send somebody else, was his response. But, but then God answered all of Moses' question until Moses finally felt this inner peace about it. No, no, it never happened. No, no. God, don't send me. Send someone else. And he just obeyed. He went there, and that's what faith is. Um, following God, listening to the word of God, doing the word of God, even if we don't feel this inner peace about it. And then even so, when he got there and told Pharaoh what God wanted him to say, and Pharaoh says, well, you lot obviously got way too much time on your hands. I'm going to make you work even harder. I used to provide you with straw to make the bricks. Now you have to do that as well as make the bricks. And, and Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Right? Now, did... Did Moses have a peace about it? No. He followed God's command in faith. What about the perfect example? Jesus. Surely someone as close to God as Jesus would have a peace about it, when it to, to know that it's God's will. But Jesus take us to the Garden of Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And Luke tells us that being in agony, he prayed earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And of course, Despite his angst and inner lack of feelings of peace, what did he say? Not as I will, but your will. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, was it a feeling of peace about it that confirmed for Jesus this path to the cross. No, it, it wasn't a feeling of peace. It, it was, he did have an existential peace. He had a, a peace that existed. He already had peace. In fact, he is the prince of peace. 
Now, if the Prince of Peace didn't equate the feelings feelings of inner calmness with, oh, well, I feel all good about this, therefore it must be the will of God, um, I find a peace, I have a peace about it. If that wasn't the way Jesus processed it, why do we tend to spiritualise our feelings of inner calm as being a peace from God? You see, for both Moses and Jesus, knowing the will of God wasn't about thinking of a few different alternatives until they came across the one that, that helped them to feel comfort instead of sorrow or, or to, to give them a feeling of inner calm instead of anxiety. Jesus continued to feel sorrow. Their decision-making was based entirely on the word of God, not on some kind of abstract feeling because feelings can be quite deceiving. And for me, as I look back over my life, the only times when I have made major life decisions uh, based on, on, on some kind of perceived feeling of peace, those decisions have pretty often been wrong. In hindsight, what it was, was me having a fleshly desire for a new direction in life or, or, or having looking for a different type of satisfaction in life, which was really actually a worldly satisfaction. And I prayed about it. I felt an inner calm. It all seemed good to me. And of course, I would have been arrogant enough to come to the conclusion, I'm a Christian, I'm a spiritual person. I feel the peace about this. It must be the peace of God. Now, of course, I didn't think that way at the time. At the time, I felt very spiritually satisfied that, yeah, it must be, must be God. But now as I look back, what I see it was in me was, was cravings of the flesh. A and the inner calm that I was feeling, it wasn't the peace of the Holy Spirit. It was the contentment of the flesh saying, yeah, that's, that, all, that looks like a good, nice way forward. Yeah. And yet there I was trying to spiritualise it in my own mind by saying, yeah, I have a piece about it. It must be God. And once again, as I look back over my life, the most spiritual, godly decisions that I have made didn't ever leave me feeling in a calm, what I would describe as having a piece about it. These were times where I actually had to step out and do things that I did not want to do. Well, it would leave me feeling, oh, why would I do that? But I just know that God is calling me to do this and so I must. And over the years, God has confirmed that, that each of those decisions have been the right thing, even though I didn't feel an inner peace. See, in the scriptures, peace isn't about feelings. It's about external relationships rather than having this inner calm. Peace can be the absence of war. 
Peace can be about harmonious relationships within the church. Peace can be about us living free from the judgment of God. We're at peace with God. It can be our very relationship with God. It's an existential thing. This peace exists. And this is where peace begins. Real peace, not a fleeting, deceitful feeling, but real, existing peace. It begins at the cross. Our last series we had was came from Colossians. And in the first chapter of Colossians, Paul says of the Lord Jesus Christ, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We may at times feel peace, but true peace is non-existent except by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the peace that we're talking about is the peace that we receive by being saved. Um, If we are not for the Lord, we are enemies of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an enemy of the Lord. But when we, through the blood of Jesus, he reconciled us to himself, right? So it means he takes us from being enemies to making us his children. That's what reconciliation is. And because of reconciliation, we have peace. Verse 18, that the very last verse of this letter says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may this be the source of our true existing peace. And let's not be distracted by feelings that, that can be deceitful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace, we praise you that you gave yourself on the cross. By your blood, you reconciled us to yourself. Our hearts are are filled with thanks and joy. Give us faith, Lord, that we would not base our lives on deceitful feelings driven by cravings of the flesh, but that we would know you that our ears would be open to your word and that we could empty ourselves of all cravings of the flesh that lead us to many sorrows. Lord, we pray for real peace, the peace that we receive by your grace. May this be enough for us, Lord, that no matter what trouble arises in our lives, that we would be free, that we would have peace because you because we are in your hands. Lord, today we also pray for the citizens of Ukraine. Lord, may they find peace in you. And Lord, we pray for world peace. We pray for your eternal peace to come. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus.
Come as judge, come as saviour. Lord, don't delay. Prince of peace, come. Amen.